Today, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with Carl and Joe Filipiak, brothers who grew up in the Grafton area in the late 40s and 50s, and we're discussing some of their experiences growing up here at that time. I think you're really going to enjoy the, the things they share with us in this episode, so have fun listening. Our history matters, our community matters, Enjoy the stories. All right, so this morning I'm lucky enough to have two guests to talk a little bit about Grafton history. I have Joe and Carl Filipiak, uh, both lifelong time Grafton residents, born and raised and still enjoying the area. Uh, do you want to introduce yourselves to start with? Carl, you want to start? Well, being the oldest, I'm about 13 years older than Joe, mm-hmm. much more handsome than he is, but that's beside the point. Uh, I was born in 1934, and uh, Joe asked me to come along because he wanted some more background on troop trains that came through here in World War II. So you figure if I was born in 34, I was 8, 9, 10 years old. And we lived on Cleveland Street. The house is still there. The street is there. We were right next to the tracks. We played on trains and tracks. Why we never got killed, I don't know, but (laughs) anyhow. Uh, And so a lot of my comments are going to be tainted from way back when. Grafton was really divided. There was a wrong side of the tracks, which I lived on. Cleveland Street, Barchard, uh, Erie here in Ontario, and then the other side of the tracks where the kids were not allowed to come over and play with us, but we could go and play with them. Hmm. So Grafton was really segregated back then, but we lived with it. So just anything I say, remember, is ancient <laughs> history on a dull mind, coming out of a dull mind. <laughs> And I'm Joe Flipiak, uh, Carl's uh, younger brother, as he stated, but I disagree with him. He's the better looking one. Actually, uh, he's the smarter one. I'm the better looking one. um, Anyhow, I was born in 47 and uh, have lived, grew up in Grafton uh, and lived in Lorraine County for most of my adult life. Actually uh, came and taught in the schools here, um, the Midview schools. Uh, for 27 years, and uh, taught in Elyria before that, and taught at LCC. Uh, So I have 35 years of teaching experience, everything from first grade through uh, college. And um, I'm an artist. Uh, I have my own studio two miles away from the traffic light here uh, in town down on Chamberlain Road. I'm a potter, and uh, I've been doing it for decades. So, and I still am an active potter. Um, I am quite active in the railroad preservation. I'm the chairman of the Grafton Railroad Historical Society and uh, have uh, a deep footing in the uh, changing of the guard of the Catholic churches in town. We had two for over 100 years, two different priests. Uh, And there's reasons why we had two Catholic churches in a small town. I'll get into that later. Um, But we had to suppress them. And I was uh, chairman of the uh, joint councils 
to suppress the two churches and build the new church that we call Our Lady Queen of Peace today. You guys have a lot of a lot of experience in the area, and and I do want to ask you about the church stuff and especially the railroads and you know growing up. So I, I guess that's my first question: is what are some of your earliest memories? Growing up in town, you mentioned the kind of divide in town. I've heard that before, and it's always struck me as kind of interesting because it's it sort of still feels like that today in some respects, but it's not like wrong side, right side. It's just different. Well, no, there's so much new that has yeah. been built on the north side of town. Mm-hmm. So you almost, it's shifted so that the newer, more expensive homes yeah. are on now on the north side of town. True. And those people on the south side of the tracks are like, no, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Grafton Bank, when I was growing up in short pants yet, was uh, really just a farmer's town. Sure. We had several uh, grocery stores in town. Uh, it was Gorman's uh, that you could buy shoes and clothing. Uh, we had meat markets. And uh, post office was bouncing around all over the place. Uh, <clears throat> the divide of the town, we were known as Pigtail Alley, Cleveland Street that turned around to Barchard Street. And uh, we looked down, it was ethnic. Uh, Grafton was an ethnic town in a way. There were a lot of German families, a lot of Polish families, mm-hmm. and the sprinkling of others. Slavic nations in there. We learned to get along, even though back in the old country, uh, Grandpa would probably call us Stadi Kraya. Uh, they didn't get along, but I can uh, remember Mr. Heidinger with his making dark beer uh, in the basement. He lived almost on the corner of uh, here in Anuri, and every year, uh, Jatek or Grandpa Heidinger would be making beer. Mm. And then there would be a big commotion because he would bottle it too soon. Never did learn how to do that. <laughs> Put it in the basement and then one would go off and set the whole place up. It would reek of stinking alcohol for a month afterwards. <laughs> and of course his wife would just raise all kind of heck with him. But Try to save the brew, and he didn't care. <laughs> he was happy, but Grafton was filled with characters too that, that just made it so rich. We mm-hmm. we had a great time. Well, as I mentioned before, Milo Mac was mm-hmm. fishing with a stick of dynamite. <laughs> uh, then we had uh, I can't say the perpetual uh, drunks. <laughs> Best <laughs> way to put. Happy ones, though. Nobody ever fought. They, they were happy and entertained a lot of the town. But the population of Grafton back then was about a thousand that I'm, refer- <coughs> excuse me, that I'm referring back to. So I don't even know what it is now, but it's quite a bit larger. City limits were uh, the south side. It's 57 right down there by the quarry. Mm-hmm. The water come out. That was a city limit. Uh, where there being no tracks in Ontario and Route 57, all meat was the northern city limits. Novak Road was out in the country, a couple houses only. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I, I had the uh, pleasure of around 12 years old getting a job with uh, the uh, Kaiser Fraser dealer or uh, Mobile Gas Station, the Calpine, Stanley McAlpine. Oh, sure, sure. A real nice guy. And mm -hmm. uh, I got a job prepping some of the Kaiser Frasers that came in at 12. <laughs> I had a driver's license at 12, believe me. <laughs> there, there was a... I forget what they call it. I was clear to drive from his place of business to Eldertrade Parts in Lurian. Oh, really? And that, that, it was a restricted license. I had to take a test. Hmm. But here's a 12-year-old. 12-year-old. In a big old, I don't know, it was a beat-up <laughs> Chevy pickup truck running into Lurian to get parts. But, uh, and that led to all, all kinds of things. But we didn't... Didn't worry. I'm going astray, guys. Help me here. No, that's <laughs> Get me right. back on track. No, that's okay. One of, one of the things that um, back in the day was uh, telephones in town. We had a telephone <laughs> exchange, which is actually used to be right across the street. Mm -hmm. And uh, Carl, my aunt, uh, ran at Aunt Nellie. Oh, really? Well, Aunt Nellie had, uh, from birth, she had only one functional arm. Mm -hmm. So we had a one-armed telephone operator who would plug in the, the the lines. And when I was growing up, uh, they had party lines. Oh, sure, so sure. So if you picked up the phone, uh, <laughs> and uh, there was a couple of housewives down that were on the same party line, you could hear their phones mm -hmm. clicking. So your conversation was uh, never private. And... Uh, uh, that's why Grafton knew everybody's business because they listened to everybody's business. I suppose you heard it all. I, I, oh, yeah. I've always heard those stories, and it, it seems so foreign to us now. But oh. that's just how it was. That's how it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember the phones on the wall, and you'd pick up the earpiece, put it here, and then crank it. There was a magneto in there. If you got your hand in the wrong place, you got electrocuted. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, these magne <laughs> magnetos. <laughs> One crank of the handle and the magnet spun around sure. in there and bam. I don't think I've ever heard anybody getting, I've never heard that before. Oh, I got lit up. Oh. McAlpin had one. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I never used a phone much because I didn't know anybody that had a phone. That's true. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. as common, that's for sure. Yeah. And Grafton was small. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when I was in the Navy, which I joined when I was a junior in high school, mm -hmm. here at Grafton High School. Uh, my folks didn't have a phone until I think you went to college. Right. And so if I called, which I never really did, but <laughs> occasionally from, uh, say, Norfolk, I had to call the neighbor mm -hmm. who had the only phone on Cleveland Street. And hopefully she was home and was nice enough, not arguing with my mother, so that she would carry the message, hey, Carl says he's coming home next weekend. So the other way that we had communications in town early on, and Carl's part of this as a little guy, was Western Union. Oh, sure. And Western Union uh, would send the messages to the railroad tower. Mm -hmm. Railroad Tower was probably like the brains of town. It kept, kept trains from colliding into each other. Mm -hmm. It, for the most part, kept people safe from crossing the tracks when when trains were coming. Uh, they had 
pneumatic gates, which were air operated. And that was the tower operator's responsibility to drop those gates or to pick them up. They weren't mm -hmm. automatic. Mm -hmm. And so Western Union would send messages up to the tower and to get the message to whatever house it was in town, they would rely upon young guys with oh. bicycles. Yeah. Would they pay you for that? I think a dime. I'm not real sure, but I think a dime is is what we got. Joe, yeah, later after me, hung out in the tower. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was qualified to put the gates up and down. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the tower operator daytime shift was Art. Somebody lived over here in Five Points. Art. I can't think of his name. Grella, maybe. No, 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 no. Really owned. Uh, oh, he owned the other. That's right. Yeah, this is way older yet. Yeah, no, oh, even farther back. Okay. Farther yeah, back. Yeah. This this would be back in the way early forties. Yeah. Oh. Then the guy that uh, ran the night shift, he lived out on Fifty Seven. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure the house is even there anymore. Uh, but uh, we had in town, we had some interesting uh, stores. We had a movies, a movie theater. I'm sure. That, the uh, I didn't take advantage of because it wasn't operating when I was young. But uh, uh, I know stories from our dad mm -hmm. uh, when he was a little kid. Uh, uh, he would uh, be given a, a nickel from <laughs> one of his older sister's uh uh, boyfriends and say, here, Joe, go uh, go see a movie. <laughs> go so, keep yourself busy. Yeah, and the building is still there. They oh, yeah. have uh, mm -hmm. flattened the floor out, mm -hmm. but uh, that's still there. We used to be pretty self-sufficient as a little town. We had a mm -hmm. concrete company, mm -hmm. mixed concrete. We had two lumber companies in town, so you could build whatever you wanted. Uh, we had a, a fellow just down the street here on Mechanic Street that made cinder blocks. Um, we had two hardware stores that were well stocked. Mm -hmm. One of them was basically Grafton's Armory. And <laughs> um, um, we had uh, a mill way yeah. back in the time that, uh, that functioned. Uh, we had uh, you know, our grocery stores, our clothing stores, a movie house. Um, we had a Chevy Ford um, and uh, Buick, Buick, Buick. Mm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Spitzers actually, mm -hmm. their very first um, car sales agency was here in Grafton, mm -hmm. and Henry Ford was going by on a train, and the train stopped in Grafton a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So Henry got off because he could see a hardware store right from the tracks. Mm -hmm. He walked over and talked to uh, Spitzer. And, and they made an agreement that he would sell uh, hmm. Fords. And so they would come in crates and uh, they'd have to be assembled. And most of those that had That's to be right. assembled were called, eventually called pickup trucks. And pickup uh. trucks, the name pickup, meant that you had to go pick it up from the freight depot and disassemble the crate, but save the wood because it was used for the floor of the uh, uh, bed of the, the truck. Part of the part of the actual truck. Right, exactly. But so that's clever. That, yeah. show, that showroom still exists. Yeah, it does. It, it's it's uh, a wing on the hardware store that is down the street here. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And now yeah. it's got plumbing supplies. In yeah. it, uh, <laughs> a little different now, but just a little different. And we had our own drugstore, mm-hmm. which is now where the security place is. Mm-hmm. Um, two doctors, two doctors mm-hmm. in town, um, and a dentist. We had uh, well, that's right, uh, yeah. or so-called dentist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he took care of those problems. We so uh, we had our own schools. The first school actually was over here, where the police station is, mm-hmm. just uh, half a block away. Yeah, by Chestnut, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, our dad went to that school. Mm. We didn't. They mm. built the new Grafton School back then. Carl can remember that being built. Oh, really? That's how old he is. I had a V in my dad's <laughs> arms. Yeah, because that was... Uh, I can remember back to things when I was four years old. Oh, that, that would be right that's, about the time then. That's, that's when memory. my mother was still alive and she would confirm it. That's mm. mom, you know. Mm-hmm. I can remember living on the corner of uh, Erie, Erie and Huron Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rented a house there before they moved over to Cleveland Street. But, uh, yeah, I can remember the, the construction and kind of being scared because, I don't know what was going on. It wasn't a floor and there was wood sure. and all of that. Big skeleton of a building going up. Yeah, yeah and now the, it's no longer a functioning school. Midview mm-hmm. had uh, mm-hmm. uh, sold that and eventually uh, is owned now by uh, a gal mm-hmm. that is restoring it yeah. to... An arts center, fine and performing arts center, and I sit on the board of directors, and we are making progress to to make that work. I'm excited to see that go up. I, we actually had her last year talking to us a little bit about it. Yeah. yeah. So I know it has progressed quite a bit in the last year. So it certainly has. Carl mentioned the mm-hmm. house over on Erie Street. This mm-hmm. uh, houses used to be heated by uh, just a central, like a furnace in the basement. And you had gravity heat that sure, would come up. Sure. And if it was a two-story house, lots of luck in getting the heat upstairs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but that particular rental house just was cold as can be. And uh, I didn't live there, but I definitely have the story from my dad that uh, he decided one cold day that he was really going to heat that house <laughs> up. So he took and threw a tire into the furnace. Oh. Because it was. Yeah, wood and coal, and well, that tire's burned too. Um, so he put the tire in the furnace, and uh, that lit up. And uh, he told me that the top of the furnace was cherry red. He said, we heated the house that one day. Almost burned it down, but he yeah. had the house. So. And what the reason was, was whoever installed the furnace had put the heat jacket upside down. So it was not putting the heat into the house, it was going up the chimney. It's just, yeah, it wasn't actually... Doing what it was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So you get stories like that. That uh, <laughs> you talk about furnaces. Uh, I used to have to walk to school, mm-hmm. and I'd walk. If I was playing it safe, I, I would walk the tracks to Elm Street, mm-hmm. and that was the city limits, just past the tracks, enough to Going get north mm-hmm. to get the uh, Charlie Mazeski sawmill in the village. That was about it. But uh, I used to walk up there and then walk down the street to Elm Street to the school. School, I can remember, had 144 kids, and it was K through 12. 12, right? Yeah. My class had nine people. Six girls, (laughs) 
three boys, of which I may be the only living member yet. There's one hmm. guy up in northern uh, Michigan I lost track of, Carl Jans. But anyhow, uh, what was getting to talking about furnaces, the trains came through, and they were coal trains, a lot of them. They would stop uh, for water, or they would just be a rock and then that. So on the way home from school, I was looking for coal. We were poor. So uh, we'd find coal on the ground, and we would take it. And then if there was any coal on the ground and there was a car full of coal sitting there, <laughs> mysteriously, some pieces fell on the ground. That happens. Yes. <laughs> and the railroad realized what, what was going on. Oh, and they sure. didn't pursue any type of uh, penalties. Uh, they knew that people were, so the mm -hmm. kids would run, run along the top of the, the hopper car mm -hmm. and knock some coal off. And uh, then later on, they'd come back with bags pick it up to help heat the house. Sure. And, and so, you know, okay, fine. Yeah, they kind of just let that one go. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, really it's reciprocating. Uh, That's because true. That's true. farmers, a lot of times, would plant in their fields closest to the tracks. They plant a vegetable garden. And when vegetables mm -hmm. would come in, trains would stop, the engineer or the fireman would get off and get some tomatoes and that. And that was free stuff for them. So it, just it all a, worked out. Just well. one of those agreements that just sort of happens yeah. along with. Well, there, there was a, another whole picture of working with the railroads. Hmm. I used to go with Dan, and uh, he would carry a pry bar sure. and a burlap bag. And we'd come over into the BNO. I'm sorry, I can't remember who, they, who owns that railroad now. <laughs> no. But anyhow, the B&O Railroad, which was across the main line from our house and that. And in the fall of the year, when wheat was being harvested, it was full of boxcars, empties, and full ones making up a train to haul out. Full ones didn't stay around long, but empties were there for the mill to fill, or whatever they did. So we would go along, and the boxcars were lined on the inside. So that left a pocket between the outer wall and the inner wall that ran all the way from the ceiling down. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, accidentally at times, there would, that wall would break. It was wood and just handling it and all and that. But what happened when they filled it up with wheat, it also filled that whole pocket up. Mm -hmm. So dad then would, Pry the bottom board out, and we would scoop like heck. Every now and then, the engine would hook onto the car and we'd go for a ride. But I was, I don't know how old I would have been, but I could barely swing myself up into the car. Dad was no help. You want to get up there? Get up there. And uh, I had a rough time doing that. And what he did when he got a bag full, now, Dad was a short little guy, really, but muscular, put this huge bag on, walked the entire length of Huron Street to my grandmother's house, his mom, mm -hmm. who was raising chickens. Aha. So grandma got a store of free feed. There you go. After we did five, six, seven, I don't know how many bags, it seemed like forever. But, we did uh, quite a few in that gap, I would imagine. Yeah. but. Uh, 
anyhow, that was one of the railroad. Well, Carl mentioned the fact that uh, our dad didn't uh, boost him up and <laughs> pat him on the head and give him suckers and all that. No, grow up, be a man. <laughs> Now, he wasn't the only one. We had mm -hmm. an uncle, great uncle, actually, that was an engineer for oh, the really? B&O. Okay. Yeah, that was Uncle Pete. And uh, Pete lived up in Lorraine. And he would run, actually, he ran the biggest steam engines that B&O ever had uh, from Lorraine to Holloway and back. But during the wheat rush, he was also would come sometimes into Grafton and switch the mill. Because the, oh. the uh, cars had to be taken from the B&O holding yard and taken up to the mill and, and uh, you know, brought back and forth. Well, if he saw Carl, and Carl always made himself available to see if Pete was on board, <laughs> tell the story. Well, <laughs> summertime, facing a little kid and slipping. Uh, Cereal at the kitchen table, and we were halfway down Cleveland Street. And you'd hear the BNO blowing for Tunnel Road. Mm -hmm. And okay, I'm done. Bob. Don't you go near Uncle Pete, <laughs> forbid you to. Yeah, bye, Mom. <laughs> Run like heck down to, and there was a golf station where mm -hmm. Ontario, or not Ontario, but Erie Street come into 57. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll check, please. It sits on the oh. land it was a golf station. Oh, okay. And I'd run behind the church and all the way down there puffing. And that's where the B&O coming into town would sit for a while. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but mm -hmm. I get there. Hi, Uncle Pete. Yeah. Hi, you want to ride? Yeah, come on up. A little kid, honestly, guys, trying to climb up on the steps that was not on the locomotive. Darn things were on the tender. Yeah. So <laughs> get a the first step is about as high as this table. I'm getting dirty. I'm getting <laughs> dirty now. Oh yeah. But I spent all morning mm -hmm. and into the afternoon. They let me shovel coal. I splattered it all over the cab. Uh, rode all around town. Did the switch and turned mm -hmm. the horn. Go back home. I'm filthy. Mom, <laughs> look at you've been with Uncle Pete. I told you not to go. <laughs> I wasn't, well, no. was, this was a daily routine. And then occasionally the B&O would come onto New York Central tracks, right in front of the house. They maybe had a car that needed to go into Larson Foundry. And mm. That was usually it. And they would, they, there was a connector track right around where Jugheads is that they could, mm -hmm. in fact, Joe's got a video of a locomotive going on that crossing Cleveland Street. It's a rarity. Yeah. But they would go there. And then mom would go out in the front porch. There's Uncle Pete. That's her <laughs> uncle. And the guy that's throwing the switch is an old boyfriend, Pete Prosky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, she'd, she'd bring a piece of cake out, a piece nice. of roll. B&O would park there. Nobody got excited about it. They had... Uh, uh, renewed friends talked about it, and then the, everything went on. Just a laid-back type thing. And that yeah. was not the only relative that worked the railroads uh, through Grafton. We mm -hmm. had uh, an uncle that was a conductor in the passenger trains for New York Central. Oh, okay. And uh, mm -hmm. 
that he would stop in Grafton, take on water, mail, that type of thing, and some passengers. Well, he would get off, and you have to understand that where our house was, if you walked across the street, there was a very short dirt area that had been a garden at times. And then there was the New York Central four-track yard, mm -hmm. the New York Central two-track main, and on the other side was the B&O yard. So a lot of tracks there. Mm -hmm. But John would get off, and uh, he would uh, come across to, to the house. And I don't know how Mom would know that he was coming, but apparently they would call or something like that, get word to him that he'd be on that train, or she just knew the schedule. Sure. And... Uh, He'd come across and she'd have some fresh bakery for him and some fresh coffee and they'd <laughs> spend a couple of minutes exchanging family uh, uh, latest news and uh, he'd get back on the train and uh, wave it on. Keep on going. And off it would go. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we had our connections on the railroad. Yes, yes. As long as we were still on railroad, mm -hmm. I know one of the reasons my brother asked me here was troop trains. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to just going to ask yeah. you that question, actually. Yeah, and you got to remember this. <laughs> I'm 88, and I was about eight back then. So mm -hmm. this is an 80-year memory trying to mm -hmm. delve some of this up. Troop trains that came through Grafton, uh, trains were not 100 cars like they are now. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to guess around 25, maybe. At the most. At, at the, yeah. Yeah. And they were troop trains, as far as I can remember, were all southbound. There were no mm -hmm. northbound ones. And it kind of makes sense, so, too. That's true. On that. Now, we had the kind that came through town, right through, carrying troops, or we had the kind that were carrying equipment, deuce and a half, tanks, mm -hmm. uh, howitzers, uh, Enough of it that we didn't even really look at it, you know, in slow hand. And then you had the kind that stopped for water. And then the last kind you had, as Joe said, there was, there was switching yards for the New York Central. They would come in off of the main line and stop. And those were the ones the most exciting for me as a kid. Because this little stretch of dirt he talks about between mm -hmm. our house and the tracks to an eight-year-old was a what? horrendous big field. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> as through the years it shrunk nothing <laughs> as you got older. But anyhow, uh, so I had a prime spot. The ones that they uh, pulled over onto the siding, guys have uh, undoubtedly had been pinned up in there because mm -hmm. they would disembark them. Oh, and probably about uh, company strength or platoon strength, they would break them up and march them through town. Oh, really? Yeah. Exercise. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense, yeah. They didn't know it was a small town. Oh. <laughs> so next thing you know, there might be a squad disappeared off the, the <laughs> grid. He's out in the countryside. Oh, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, but they're walking, they feel good, they can breathe fresh air. Man. The streets were lined with village people like watching these guys. You know, I was totally impressed. Um, it's got to be a sight. Yeah, yeah, and then the engine 
lay on the whistle, time to come back. <laughs> so they would all come back and get on. And, they uh, would, at times, uh, I, I've understood that uh, if it was in season, apples and that, and, yeah. and the ladies, if they'd make sandwiches or so, you know, whatever they had, they would share sure. with the troops. Sure. And the yeah. troops, in turn, would every now and then hand a letter or so mm. to a kid mm -hmm. or to a woman yeah. and say, please mail this. Mail, yeah. yeah. Well, they did to me. And, and really, the fruit bit, mm -hmm. when the guys were marching, you didn't screw with them. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, try to give them an apple because... <laughs> His sergeant would be a down on him. Uh, but that's the, the next layer of troop trains that came in never got off the main. Mm. They would stop, be taken on water, and that they were only going to be there now five, ten minutes. Sure. So, so the street, Cleveland Street, Bartridge Street, the wrong side of the tracks. Mm. Had a lot of high school girls or just recent graduates and that. They were girls, <laughs> and things uh, came in uh, in season, apples and mm -hmm. pears, and uh, not a lot of bakers because we were on rationing. At that point, yeah. We yeah. were starving, too. Mm -hmm. And But what they could, the women, uh, the older women would get some baked goods, and they would go out to the tracks. Mm. Uh, with, when the trains came, came into the sidings, you stayed off the tracks. That was army ground. Yeah. But uh, these would go out to track, hand them up. And mm -hmm. I, I remember personally one guy yelling at me, hey, kid, get this in the mail. Now, I don't remember if it had a stamp on or didn't, <laughs> but it was free postage in World War II. Yeah. But uh, again, uh, I remember taking that letter. That was the biggest mission in my life. <laughs> I ran downtown. The post office is where Kleinet used to be, next to Spitzer Hardware. Mm -hmm. That's, and, and so it was just run down the tracks, mailed it, ran back. They were still there, and the guy was still hanging out the window <laughs> and oogling the girls, that type of thing. And I remember, and he said, yeah, you know. <laughs> so for a little kid, that was the biggest thing in my life. But um, the troop trains stopped. But uh, again, the uh, trains with the equipment and that, they, they usually eyeballed it through, or we didn't pay that much attention to them if they stopped. We had other travelers too through mm -hmm. the years. They were called hobos. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a hobo jungle, which is uh, just to the outside across the New York Central Trestle, which is now the Metro Parks walking area. It used to be a golf course. Yeah. But before that, it was a, it was a dump. <laughs> and before that, it was the hobo jungle. Really? And hobos uh, have their own uh, system of language. They would, mm -hmm. they would have different symbols that they would mark on trees or on, on the bridge abutments or whatever. And they would tell whether it was a friendly town. And mm -hmm. uh, they would even have places uh, where you could get a meal at a mm -hmm. private home. And ours was one of them. Oh. Uh, my... And like Carl said, we were poor. We didn't have a, a whole lot there. But my dad would always see to it that if a hobo came to the door, mm -hmm. that he would get something to eat. Sure. And uh, uh, he would not invite him in the house because these guys, you know, they're flea infested and whatever else. True. But he had, we had a back porch. And so 
my mom would put together a meal for him. And um, I can remember dad sitting out there more than once with these hobos. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy would eat and dad would give him a beer or something mm -hmm. like that, something to drink. And in exchange, the guy would tell some stories that he's mm -hmm. experienced on the, on his travels. Sure. So it worked out well that that way. But we had uh, uh, we had our own uh, <laughs> hobo jungle in Grafton as well. I didn't realize that was over there. It's uh, yeah. I I remember at the other side of the tracks, but you're right. It, it was just past that. Yeah. Hmm. I never went into it yeah. because I was afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we had other uh, travelers in town. Uh, we had a hotel, which is where uh, the laundromat sits. Mm -hmm. That's one of That's two. That's one of two. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. that one, Jesse James uh, and his gang had been reported, uh, reportedly stayed there. And there was an escape tunnel that oh, was yeah. dug from there to the river. And that tunnel existed. Uh, when I was in high school, we were setting a pole and there was uh, a hole that was drilled, yeah. you know, for the pole. Sure, sure. And it popped into a tunnel. And so, yeah, part of that still existed. I so, mean, there you go. So yeah. some of the mysteries, supposedly a big bloody handprint was, fall on, was found on a hall wall in that hotel hmm. on the second floor. And that hotel became a mill. And then an apartment, Stanislavski, one of Stanislavski's lived there as an apartment. Mm. And then I don't know uh, what happened to it. The other hotel burnt down. Yeah, that was. And the, my dad being a young, younger fellow and, you know, wow, look at the fire. So um, he parked his car over by where the uh, laundromat is now mm -hmm. in that area and walked over his only half short half block away and he's watching the uh, building burn and he thought holy cow the wind the way it's coming from the west and that these hot embers are flying my car is parked car is over right there so he goes over and the car's missing oh for crying out loud so he stole my car so he goes well they're directing traffic redirecting traffic mm. down mechanic street Again, everybody knew everybody that lived in the town, oh, sure. including the police. So dad ran down. He was he was a, a Golden Gloves fire back in the day. He was one scrappy boy. And he went down there and he saw the cop. And he says, you see my car? And the cop knew what he was. Yeah. He says, yeah. He says, your, your Ford is about two-thirds of the way down towards the school. So dad runs down there and traffic was stopped and moving real slow because it was it was congested. And there's his car. And the guy's, you know, had the window, you know, it was open. Dad reaches in and drags him about halfway out of the car. He says, what are you doing in my car? And the guy goes, it's not your car. <laughs> Dad's looking. Goes, guy goes, you've got your keys? Dad goes, yeah, I got my keys. So and he puts the guy back in. He goes, sorry. <laughs> and he's like, geez, where's my car? That one's... Just like my car, but it's not mine because he had his keys. Here's my keys. So he goes home. He said to my mom, he says, somebody stole our car. She looked kind of quizzically at him. She goes, it's in the garage. She said the fire <laughs> was sending amber embers over. And she says, I saw it. So I drove the car to the garage. Yeah. <laughs> 
so you get those cute little stories like that. It's like, okay. That is, that is now, uncommon. speaking of price fighting, mm. um, where the tower is located now, the railroad tower, mm. is the red brick building. It used to be Files Electric for decades. A long time, yeah. But back in the day, it used to be uh, rings in there for prize fighting. Really? Mm hmm Hmm. Yeah. My dad fought in there. So uh, that building goes back quite a ways. I, I knew that that's been around. I never heard that before. It was wow. a railroad uh, repair shop also for a short line. Oh. And again... This is Don Anderson's research. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a good friend of mine who was a great ahead of me, did a lot of research on Grafton and published a little book. And I know that book was in the Luria Library because I got it out mm. and, mm. and read it. And uh, I learned a lot of things that went way sure. early on this because Don, whose dad was one of his two barbers in the, town, mm -hmm. Joe Anderson. Mm -hmm. uh, Don was like a little terrier. If he sunk his teeth <laughs> into something, it stayed there until he was done with mm -hmm. it. And uh, Well, the railroads uh, actually, back in the day, and what drove a lot of the immigrants to Grafton was sure. the courts. Sure, the industry, the workers, yeah. Yeah, and, and so the Irish and the Germans were first to come into town. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those uh, were, were Catholic, mm -hmm. uh, especially the Irish. And so they started to build the Immaculate Conception. And that stone came from the Grafton Quarries. And yeah. there was a rail track that ran from the Grafton Quarries behind where the church is now. And that track went over to Cleveland Street where there was engine facilities. Mm -hmm. And then that would tie into the main line and then to the east of town, there was a long siding that ran back towards the woods. And that's where they would take flat cars of stone and put a couple at a time, couple at a time, till they had a train mm -hmm. and they'd bring in some heavy duty engines and pull that into Cleveland. Some of the sandstone that was mined or, or dug in Grafton was uh, used. In fact, the old stone church in Cleveland on the yes. square is Grafton sandstone. Hmm. Yeah. And so uh, that's yeah, how the misleading thing is ge geologists call it uh, Bria sandstone. Yeah, I've heard that term. They call yeah. it just because of the, the color or something. Well, it's the type. Or the, know, whatever. Because it was geology like. Geology. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in Mahoning Shale. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in, in this area, especially like in Westlake, mm -hmm. the shale that's there is called the Mahoning Shale. Okay, well, not near Mahoney Even though Valley, it's nowhere, yeah. But, yeah, but that's not what the geologist uh, got into. But uh, that was, that particular church was built partially, mm -hmm. and then they ran out of funds. Yeah. And as they got more funds, they went ahead and finished building the church. Well, th that is the only non-residential building in Grafton that is now on the National Historic List. That is true. And it's a beautiful church on it the is. inside, very, very reminiscent of European old country style. Mm -hmm. And it has a functional bell still in the belfry. And at one time, we had the Assumption Church, which was on the south side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. That was the Polish National yeah. Church. And there's a reason why they built that. 
we had the Irish German Catholic Church with their bell. Mm -hmm. The Methodist Church had their bell. So at noon, (laughs) this was a carillon of sound (laughs) telling people, there's church, remember God, pray. And the Catholic Church has the Angelus, which is six noon and six, six in the morning, noon and six in the evening. The bell rings to call people to remind them it's time to pray. Sure. Um, and that and, was all shattered at noon by the siren going on. Yeah, we had we also <laughs> had the fire siren. They would test it at noon. Oh, so yeah. So they would blow that, which used to be on the tower. It was right next door to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't miss that. No. <laughs> so, but anyhow, it finally worked out that uh, the Immaculate Conception had uh, Carillon's uh, tapes hmm. and uh, Methodist Church did. The Assumption still had its bell, and so uh, at noon, one church would ring the carol on, the other church would ring its bell, and then finally the Methodist, when the Catholic Church was done making all their their ringing and noise, they would play their carol on. So we would have almost a half hour a lot, yeah. of, of neat musical sounds in this town. Mm. Uh, we still have the bell from the Assumption Church, Oh, really? Uh, when that particular bell was uh, taken out of the original wooden structure of Assumption Church mm-hmm. that uh, our grandparents helped build, mm-hmm. they, uh, they were there standing in Elm Street, which was nothing but a dirt path at the time, yeah. uh, for the dedication of the church. We have a picture of them yes. standing there oh, really? with the congregation. And uh, that lasted till 1957 mm-hmm. when the brick church was built to replace it because the population was growing. Yeah, yeah. And so the wooden church was tore down, the bell was saved. Now, mm-hmm. a little side note, my dad, being a hunting man from early age on, um, always had a couple of hound dogs. And so he decided that instead of them scrapping. So he was one of the early recyclables mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. people. He went over to the church and I went with him and we salvaged good lumber that was otherwise just going to be scrapped. And we took it back and he built like uh, two room dog houses. Oh, wow. Uh, very, very, very interesting uh, structures. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a hallway that went down into the coop and a entrance into the bed area. <laughs> and in the wintertime, he'd filled the bed area at least two thirds full of straw, and the dog would make a nest. They'd sure. stay out 24 seven, they weren't in house dogs. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the cold wind and the snow really would not get to them because they'd push the straw up against the opening. Nice and safely insulated. Yeah. Uh, he was ahead of his time. So you... that was the only holy dog houses in Grafton. They pretty they were. <laughs> and we still have the bell that's on the property over at Our Lady Queen of Peace, and hopefully okay. we're gonna use that uh, in a uh, area to uh, um, for history remembrance, oh. but the other Good. bell that's on the property is still up in the belfry, mm-hmm. and uh, that can be activated. We did test it out a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but um, the current pastor mm-hmm. has decided not to ring it at the time. So, mm. uh, so I haven't haven't heard anything in a long time. Myself. So we have a very quiet town right now, but yeah. hopefully that'll change down the line. That'd be good. It, that's yeah. it's. A, one of those unique things, I think, and just when, a you're, footnote, when you're in those towns. You know. Just a footnote on the assumption, when mm-hmm. we suppressed it, that meant we closed it officially. Mm-hmm. 
I was the one who rang the bell. Oh, really? The very last time I rang it mm. for 10 minutes in town mm. and uh, to denote the fact that that church was closing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a tolling bell. It was a good, solid ring <laughs> of a bell. And where that bell was, mm. was there was a, uh, like a sculptural statue that was, well, not a statue, but assembly, mm -hmm. that the bell hung on the very top of it. So we took that off and were able to save it. And, and another footnote, as we got the bell down out of there, I mean, it's heavy. Oh, yeah. Extremely huge, heavy. Yeah. Well, the Grafton Utilities decided to help us, mm -hmm. and uh, we had a, a crane that came in. So between the two bucket trucks and uh, the crane, we got it loose and brought it down and set it on a pallet. Now, how do you that? <laughs> and so I thought, well, you know, there is Jeff and Laura Files, which lived almost in the backyard of that church uh, off of Hickory Street. So I went over, and they're both very into mechanical things. Uh, and I said, Laura, Jeff was at home. I said, do you have something to pick up a pallet with a big bell on it? She had a tractor with forks with on the front, mm -hmm. quite capable to drive it, but the bell was too heavy. Oh. So the tractor wouldn't pick it. Huh. So she says, wait a minute. Now you only in Grafton, this will happen. <laughs> so we walked a half a block over on Hickory Street, knocked on this fellow's house door, comes to the door, and Laura goes, actually it was her uh, neighbor from across the street. She goes, uh, you got a minute to uh, give us a hand with your forklift? <laughs> sure, sure, no problem. So he opens his garage door. He had a complete machine shop in this garage back Just there. Right. Who would have thought? And he had a totally restored forklift. So he gets in, drives over, and picks up the pallet and put it in the garage. We locked it up. And, you know, where else can you walk a half a block, knock on the door, and say, "Can I borrow your forklift?" I don't. <laughs> I don't know where you would do that. That that does sound a little bit like Grafton, though. Is, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> gems everywhere oh, in this yeah. town that are just waiting to be discovered. So, well, you were talking about the assumption. Um, I know your father did the carving of yes. the um, the wood. Yes. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. I to... Sure, I've got the model sitting right next to me here. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in 1956, they decided that they were, well, actually it was 55, they decided they needed to build a new church. Mm -hmm. And so the priest wanted a life-size crucifix, life-size body. And uh, he got a friend of his who was an architect that was retired architect in Cleveland. He was a premier architect for the Cleveland Diocese. The guy came out of retirement to hmm. build this particular church because it was a friend of his was asking him. Sure. So then Father Gachkowski traveled to Europe to find a wood sculptor that would do this carving. Mm -hmm. And the way that they did it back then, they still do it now, is assembly line. Uh, Fred, you would do the arms. Uh, Carl, you would do the legs. Uh -huh. I would do the torso and someone else would do the head. And they pinned it all together. And then they paint it so you don't see the seams. Mm -hmm. But uh, so it was assembly line. And he couldn't find an artist there. I'm sure there was some, but he couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. To do one solid single piece by himself. Mm -hmm. So he was lamenting when he came back to town council or to uh, church council that his trip wasn't successful. And one of the guys goes, 
Well, did you ask Joe? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, Joe Filippiak, you know, he's a parishioner and he's a wood carver. And, and no, I never knew that. So he went over and talked to dad. And uh, the wood came from Oregon, uh, Ponderosa Pine. Actually, I've been in that area, uh, drove through the, the, the countryside where that wood came from. And um, it was shipped over to Wooster in two and a quarter inch thick slabs. And uh, they sanded it. And dad brought that home, had it trucked over to Cleveland Street. And uh, he drew the basic outline, the shapes that he needed, cut that out. And a friend of his, Skip Banks, owned Banks Manufacturing. And so we took it over there and Skip laminated it all together, glued it all together. Mm -hmm. And so that was the big chunk of wood that just fit in the studio, just fit in the studio. Now, dad was a primitive artist. He only went to school through the fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And so everything that, that he knew was self-taught and his art came naturally. His very first piece, besides whittling guns for the kids to play cops and robbers, his first serious piece was the uh, head of Christ with the oh, crown of thorns. Sure, sure. And he carved that out of a chunk of telephone pole, which is not wood that you want to work on, but he didn't know it. I still have that. Mm -hmm. He did a pretty doggone good job on that thing. And so he did other carvings, but this was his biggest one. Mm -hmm. Life-size, 6-1, okay? And for what his ability was, he used calipers, he measured, he did a lot of that. And Carl, mm -hmm. being a student at Ohio University, would come home for weekends to find what real food tasted like <laughs> and to get some money to go back. Oh, yes. Um, he would measure him because sure, Carl sure. was a, a Navy veteran, so he was a man. You know, he mm -hmm. wasn't just a teenager. Mm -hmm. So he would measure uh, and uh, proportions in that. Remember the time Dad uh, hedge along the side there? Yeah. Actually, Dad was having some problems with pectorals yeah. up, up in here. Mm. And I, I was home. It was cold. His workshop was very small and not well heated. And Dad was telling me and showing me the problem he was having. Take your damn shirt off. <laughs> Take your shirt off. Strip. <laughs> so here I am, standing up against the wall, on my toes, naked down to the belt line, with my arms stretched out. And what does he do? He takes some ice-cold, huge <laughs> metal calipers and starts on my chest. <laughs> well, See hard nipples, baby, and they were there. <laughs> so you can edit that. <laughs> so, so you can uh, imagine if some of the neighbors were peeking in the windows, that he'd do it, oh, you, that, you know, that he's up against the wall like that, you know. But uh, got to get those measurements, I suppose. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> now, my job, when Carl would go back, my job was to pick up the chips that came from the carving mm -hmm. and they would get almost a foot deep in there because there was a lot of wood to take off. So. And uh, so I would take those out to the garden and burn them 
And uh, I remember one time it was down at below the knees. There was still a lot of bulk wood to go. My dad handed me the chisel and the mallet. He says, have at it. Well, I'm about huh. nine years old or so. So, you know, okay. So he showed me where. So I'm pounding away, taking wood off of there. Well, if you're a nine, 10 year old kid, your arms don't last very long. No. <laughs> so I, I had some uh, shots at, at that particular carving. So here, dad. <laughs> so, but uh, he got it done uh, in time. Uh, the priest came over and, and checked on him, and he says, why are you working on Sunday? Back then, mm -hmm. Sundays were nothing like they are today. They had the blue laws. I mean, stores were closed except uh, pharmacies, and only for a short time. Sunday was a time to relax, to go to church, to be with family. Mm -hmm. And so the priest gave him a hard time. <laughs> time. Why are you working? My dad said, because you waited so long to get me to start doing this, I have to in order to get it done on time mm -hmm. because dad had a full-time weekday job sure. in Illyria. And, uh, <laughs> had to meet the deadline, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And he, got, he did get it done. Well, a lot of his, mm -hmm. his thought, going back to his measurements of that, mm -hmm. at that time, the uh, cloth of Turin was in the news. Oh, okay. And, uh, well, to cut to the quick, basically based on the image on that cloth, Christ was about six foot. Mm -hmm. I am six foot. Oh, yeah. So now proportions were what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was again <laughs> on that, so I used that. Uh, they, they ran into a problem, and I'm not sure you're aware of it or not. When Dad uh, first took on the job in the planning of it, it was to be the crucifix up above the altar looking down. The churches at that time had communion rails mm -hmm. that the congregation never got up close. If you were at that rail. He designed it so that Christ's eyes were open. As you went mm. to receive it, uh, yeah, what was it? It was a dead Christ from the distance. If you were on the other side of the uh, uh, communion rail, the position of Christ's head, you couldn't see the eyes. Mm -hmm. So it looked, it appeared that he was passed. Mm -hmm. But as you came closer and you got to the communion rail and looked up, he was looking was at looking. you. Yeah. But that's hmm. how it was designed. That's how he started the work. And then what did the church do? Did away with the communion rail, brought the altar down, <laughs> changed the whole layout. Like, <laughs> you can't change the carving. No, nope, too late at that point. Yeah. yeah. So that's, it was, uh, Carl mentioned a, a cloth of uh, turn. Mm -hmm. That was used when Dad was doing another carving, the mm -hmm. Last Supper. And uh, he was trying to get Christ's face mm -hmm. just right. Well, in Italy, there were five sculptors that were commissioned to do, after they looked at the mm -hmm. cloth of turn, to do sculpture pieces. The actual life-size sculpture of Christ's face. They took this cloth and very carefully placed it on these sculpture pieces, and one of them fit exactly. And so they photographed it and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, that photograph made its way to Dad's studio. Now, 
on the carving for the crucifix mm -hmm. that has a crown of thorns, that is not separate. It is part, part of, of the wood. Them. And that crown of thorns, the thorns are separate because I've had to replace a couple. Mm. But um, uh, that was inspired by one of the parishioners who was in the Holy Land. And the thorn bushes still grow today sure. that were probably, it makes sense, sure. part of this, the growth back in the day of Christ time. So they're commercializing and they would make uh, crowns of thorns and sell them to tourists. Well, this parishioner bought one of these, brought it, and gave it to dad and said, here, you know, this is the structure it's on like it. how it looks. And yeah. so, you know, the, the people knew that dad was doing this. Mm -hmm. I still have that crown of thorns. And to this day, when hmm. you pick it up, you have to be very careful because it will still draw blood. Hmm. Yeah, they were terrible. Uh, so that was his, you know, between Carl <laughs> and parishioner and... and uh, you know, just mm -hmm. uh, stick to it. Uh, he was able to get it done. Now, when we suppressed the church, mm -hmm. about the carving, did it go anywhere? Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. And we did this. We had a procession from that church to the hall at the new church because the new church was being constructed. Mm -hmm. We weren't ready to put it in yet. So we took the cross down and I... It was uh, in charge of that, making sure everything was working okay. We got it down and we had a procession. The church members came out and we carried the cross on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. <coughs> my son Joe, myself, carried it the whole way. Mm -hmm. But the priest, he most of the way, he carried it too. But parishioners would come in and take other people's Switch places. Out, yeah. yeah. And so we had dozens and dozens of people helping carry this cross. Now, it was kind of a misty, rainy day, so we put plastic over it, but mm -hmm. you could still see it. Mm -hmm. And we came right down here. Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure the people at the totally Deluxe Bar, yeah, I just... the people at the Deluxe Bar <laughs> looked out going, what? what's going on? Who got, who got nailed to a cross? <laughs> and so, certainly they so have, we, yeah. We took the cross and set it. I took the corpus off of the cross. Mm -hmm. Joe Dahman refinished the cross itself. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a retired art teacher, mm -hmm. and he's a, parish a parishioner. And I had him leave the outline accent strip, the original mm -hmm. color, but we went a little darker with it for contrast. Sure now, Dad always wanted that carving to be satin to dull, and the priest insisted that it be shiny. Mm -hmm. Well, Dad finally got his wish oh, because go. while it was removed from the cross itself, mm -hmm. I dulled it down. And uh, um, here's here's kind of an interesting side note. Mm -hmm. Carl's old, oldest son, John, who is a professional artist, uh, and uh, he's an art teacher now up in Illyria. Mm -hmm. uh, John was really good with photography, still is. And when we brought the cross into the hall and set it down, John was taking pictures of my son and myself and, you know, and when he had those developed, there were orbs in the pictures. Mm -hmm. There was a larger orb right in front of me mm -hmm. and a smaller one in front of my son. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about orbs, orbs mm -hmm. are like a spirit that shows up. So I really have a hunch dad was, uh, was there with us when we brought that across and uh, mm -hmm. we hung it up 
It's not suspended by wire. It, I had them put a post up, a steel post, and it's literally hung on a clip. Oh, really? Yeah. So you could, uh, with about four or five guys, <laughs> pick that up, take it off the post, and take it out if you had to. Hmm. Now, as far as that building is concerned, there were about 10 of us that uh, were on the building committee at that time. They asked for anybody uh, that was interested in uh, helping build the church. And before we even got to that point, we had to convince two parishes to close. Now, they had north side, south side, mm -hmm. bad side, good side type thing. You know, that was still in a lot of their minds. Well, you belong to the Polish church and we belong to the Irish church. Well, okay, how do you bring those two together? Yeah. And way back in history time, when the only Catholic church was the Irish church, the Poles came in at the turn of the century, beginning of 1900s, and they wanted to go to mass. And our grandmother went mm -hmm. in there one Sunday with a couple of her kids, and she sat down at a pew well, back then they had pew rentals. And if you oh, go really? into the Immaculate Conception, even today, you'll see the tag holders with, some of them still have the names of the pew mm. rental people. Really? So families would rent pews. And mm. yeah. Don't you dare come in. Very <laughs> Christian attitude here. Yeah. But so anyhow, my poor grandmother was in there with a couple of kids mm. and the family came in that rented that pew mm. and literally pushed her out onto the floor. Hmm. This is our pew. Well, that didn't go over well because that happened with other people sure. that yeah. were Polish. Yeah. And they didn't understand the language, really. So mm -hmm. they, they petitioned the diocese and said, can we build our own church? And the diocese mm -hmm. said, yes, you can. And so they built the one over on Elm Street. Problem was they didn't have a priest that spoke Polish in Grafton. But there was one in Lorraine at Nativity Church. So some of the boys that worked on the B&O on Sunday would take the maintenance cart and oh, go yeah. up the B&O track to Lorraine and meet the priest at the, at the B&O tracks. He would get on, they'd bring him back to Grafton. Mm -hmm. He'd say mass, they'd take him back up to, uh, to Lorraine. So huh. that was our early Polish church until they did get uh, an actual pastor mm -hmm. in. Well, when we went to suppress, that was when... Priests were, and still are, a rare commodity. True. We were down to one priest, which is the one we have today, Father John mm -hmm. Siebel, a mm -hmm. native of the area. Yep, yep. And uh, John, his family history, and his, you know, it's public knowledge, that they've had heart conditions. Mm -hmm. And the poor guy's trying to run two churches. We're trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. So I was the parish council chairman for Assumption at the time. And I said, guys, what we're doing is, you know, we can't keep this up. And our biggest concern was the bishop was going to come in and mm. close both churches and say those from the south side go to Medina or Valley City mm -hmm. and those on the north side go to Illyria. Exactly. We would lose our Catholic community. Completely, yeah. So we decided that we needed to do something. So we went and met with the Immaculate Conception Council and they agreed with us. Mm -hmm. Well, me being the mouthpiece for Assumption. I was one of the co-chairmen. The other co-chairman was uh, uh, their chairman. Mm -hmm. 
and she's, she's a member of the parish now. Well, she said, Joe, she said, um, you're a public speaker, you're a teacher. She says, why don't you do the talking? Okay, fine, <laughs> thanks. So uh, anyhow, um, we decided to hold a public meetings sure, and sure. said to both parishes, this is what we're facing. Mm -hmm. What do you think? We had a vote, 67.7% of the people said we understand, even though mm -hmm. this church, either one, has a lot of family history. I was married there, my folks are buried there, da da da. But yeah, we need to close. Mm -hmm. So, and build one church. And so we suppressed both churches and we even had public meetings to pick the name. The parishioners picked the name. We had, mm -hmm. so we had input all the way along. And as far as the building committee, we had 10 people on there. One it was a professional builder. Um, and uh, my son, myself, we were the two professional artists and others brought their talents as mm -hmm. well. And so uh, it, was a, it was an interesting journey. Uh, I was, I designed the altar that's there. It's sandstone in respect to the origin of, of the, the village, mm -hmm. sandstone. Yeah. Uh, the top is marble. <clears throat> if you walk in the church and look through the opening at the altar, you'll see actually the old altar of the Assumption. Hmm. I brought that over. We had it crafted down and it's got a mosaic of God's hand. And you'll see that hand as you look through the center of the altar. And so that's from the old Assumption Church. And we used a lot of things, the stained glass windows mm -hmm. uh, from the Assumption, the, uh, some of the statuary, certainly the crucifix. Mm -hmm. uh, my son was responsible for getting the architects to build the tower over the baptismal, and he designed the candle uh, stands underneath the Holy Family statues. Um, the, uh, as far as the Stations of the Cross, we brought those. Now, back in 1957, things were always bronzed color, you know, oh, really? kind, of, kind of that goldy, browny color. Mm -hmm. Well, that just didn't fit for our new church. The windows had a lot of grays in them and, and muted colors. So what I did was I took the statues to my studio and repainted them all nickel color and stained the, a little bit of color onto them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's there today. And it was always kind of interesting. I'd go into the studio and I didn't know whether to genuflect or just turn on the radio and turn it to <laughs> rock and roll because I had all these you know, religious statues in mm -hmm. my studio at the time. So it's a good way to, I mean, bring those two communities together. And it's long. worked out quite and well. It's, it's it worked sure out. We, that we brought like the two holy names together. Mm -hmm. We now have a Knights of Columbus console there, mm -hmm. which we didn't have uh, in one of the churches. Mm -hmm. And so we, the ladies have come together, you know, just well, yeah. pulling the resources. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it then saves the community for Grafton. Yeah. So we have this very mm -hmm. neat historical building, the church. Oh, yes. We call it the chapel. Mm -hmm. And we have our brand new church. And uh, that's been designed so that side walls can be kicked out. Mm. They're not supporting walls. And we can wing out to, to increase the, uh, by one third, we can increase oh. the seating capacity in that church if we have to. Yeah, well, and it's a growing community, so. Yeah. 
it's always good to have that so, available yeah. if you need well, to. The healing process yeah. is pretty much over now. It's it's done and solidified. Now, a little story from the past. Mm. Uh, one of our uncles, we served, all of us served Mass. Carl, I served Mass. Mm -hmm. I started serving Mass when I was in fourth grade. I don't know when you started serving. Way back. Way back, <laughs> I say, remember, yeah. yeah. Well, one of our uncles, um, mm grew a mustache and the priest said, you either shave it off or you can't serve mass. So he, he didn't shave it off. So he, he stopped serving. That's how he stopped. But in the old church, they used to keep the wine on the back porch mm. in the rectory, which was right next. Right next to So him. the priest would send usually the oldest server over there to mm -hmm. fill the wine crew it up for mass. And usually he would say, uh, leave some for the next mass because he knew the oldest server would go over and sample it to make sure right. it was good Test it, yeah. and uh, <laughs> fill the crew it up and bring it back. So bingo, uh, mm. they used to play bingo at the Assumption Church oh, and yeah. they didn't have microphones. Oh yeah. <laughs> you had to listen to the caller. Ooh. And my dad was one of the callers. In fact, he was the caller and he would lose his voice until about Tuesday. He would call. That'd be a lot, yeah. Yeah. And my mom, if the wind was just right, could sit on her front porch on the other side of the tracks <laughs> and play bingo because she could hear him shouting the numbers. Clear. I remember hearing that. That's, right. a, that's, that's a, a long way. That's not close. No. No. <laughs> no. Several blocks away. Yeah, oh yeah. So as kids, when Dad yelled at you, it kind of lit you up yeah, a little you, bit too. You he noticed. Good notice that voice. Set a long zone. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, railroads, we've preserved the tower, which yeah. was built in uh, the turn of the century, mm -hmm. along with the passenger depot. We I had a couple pictures. Yes, I have pictures of them in. 19, well, this is. I just handed them to <laughs> yeah. you. have seen them. Oh, we, can, we can add them to the notes, so never yeah. fear. Uh, we've yeah. got some pictures of, of that. The tower's purpose mm -hmm. was called interlocking. There were two separate railroads across at grade. And if you didn't have some way to control the trains, mm -hmm. they're going to smash into each other. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the uh, purpose of that tower was to control movement and also to throw the, the switches mm -hmm. if the, for the crossing over from one track to another, crossing into the yards. Those switches were controlled by levers up in the tower yeah. that yeah. pushed piping, that pushed out down the tracks mm -hmm. and would move the rail, literally, one way or another. And so uh, it was also the center, like I said, for Western Union. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a pretty important place. Uh, had to be somebody there all the time. But some great stories came out of that, uh, maybe for another time, because I know we've been no. talking for a while. But uh, <laughs> I've interviewed tower operators, at least mm -hmm. a half a dozen of them, that I've been able to find. And uh, the stories that they have, there was one, mm -hmm. I love this one. Um, he was a, they told me about this guy. He was a tower operator that just liked to find the chair and sit in it as much as he could. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. And so he would park his Chevy right up by the tower. Well, the, uh, the train division manager told him, I don't want any vehicles parked right up by this tower here. I want you to park over by the freight station, which was only a hundred yeah, yards not away. Not too far away. No. Most. Okay. 
So he parked there for a couple of weeks and, and the uh, uh, foreman didn't show up, the superintendent didn't show up. So he'd go back to parking. Well, it had a slight grade mm -hmm. to it. So the Chevy was parked on that slight grade. Well, here comes southbound, the biggest engine the B&O had pulling taconite going south towards the steel mills. And that thing would shake mm -hmm. the ground. Our house was, we grew up in, was two blocks away from that track and my bedroom windows would vibrate from <laughs> that train coming into town. Big train. Well, the train was kind of blinded because of where Spitzer's building was. He would mm. come around the curve mm -hmm. and then he could see the, the crossing. Well, that vibration, apparently the guy didn't have his shift lever in all the way and it popped it out into <laughs> neutral. And he had no brake set. Nope. And that Chevy rolled down and the rear wheel stopped against the rail. Bumped against the track. And when the engine comes around, all of a sudden the engineer sees this car sitting there. So he's blowing the collision whistle, which is a series of doot, toot, toot. So the tower operator gets going, what's going on? So he looks out, oh my gosh, my car. <laughs> so he's running down the steps to try to save it. Well, you can't stop a train on a dime. Nope. <laughs> and he wasn't that fast. So that was the first subcompact Chevy on, in existence. And that train <laughs> no took kidding. the trunk right off that car. Yeah. That would do some, uh, do some work to that thing. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> took it out. So uh, there's there's some great stories from that tower. Oh, the, those engines! I I worked at at Stanley McAlpine's local gas station, mm -hmm. and eventually moved up to Johnny Lawson's. And there's some stories about that in the railroad. But then I worked for well, he was known as Greasy Wise because he was Greasy. Oh, so yeah. gas station. Mm -hmm. The B&O track virtually came in the back door <laughs> and grazed it. Be nothing like sitting in there or doing something in the station. And all of a sudden, this tremendous noise, the place is shaking, uh, scared the dickens out of you. I mean, they, they, the Canfield station across the street had even more fun hmm. because that was the New York Central past that. Oh. And they would kick mailbags off and every now and then, I damn near got hit by one. Huh? I walk out of the office into the bay as the train was northbound. And he just... kicked it off too soon. But oh. the mailbag went taking my head off, hit oh. the back wall, and man, that was that was a mess. That seems like a maybe a dangerous way to do that. Well, that's how they. But that's how they did that. They I know. did it. They would uh, because trains had uh, mm -hmm. post offices, railway express post offices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would kick a canvas bag, mail due for this town and surrounding areas, and they would kick it as hard as they could. Well, some of them didn't kick it as hard as they could. Mm -hmm. And every now and then, one would go under the wheels and get chewed up, and yeah. they would take a couple of days to kind of piece the mail back together. Oh, really? Because, oh, yeah, they'd have ah. to pick it all up. It's, oh, wow. it's uh, U.S. Well, mail. Yeah, that's true. And, and the device they had was a stand alongside of the track. Mm -hmm. That you put the mail bag in, mm -hmm. cinch the middle of it with a belt, two arms, so it's an hourglass, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. put it between the two arms, spread it out, and they would hook it. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. And yeah. if they didn't, they're picking it up. They <laughs> had a uh, a pipe hook mm -hmm. on the side of the mail car that they would swing out 
and it was at the right height. And as it would come through, it would snatch that mailbag. And uh, but the guy had to pull it off of there before he lost it. In the meantime, he's supposed to be kicking, kicking off the other the thing off cutting. at the same time. Had to be coordinated. That's a job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You have to be careful of those things because the railroads are extremely dangerous. And uh, oh, profoundly, there was yes. an engineer on the Chesapeake in Ohio down in uh, West Virginia. He's a very friendly fellow. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a couple standing trackside and he blew the whistle and they're waving and yelling. And, and he's leaning out and this is the what the, uh, the story told by the firemen. So he's leaning out, looking back and waving and he forgot about the mail book oh, no. that was out there. And the... Firemen had to stop the train because yeah, the engineer didn't survive did that. Yeah. It's not going to end well. No, it no. didn't. So, yeah. but anyhow, yeah, um, yeah maybe some yeah, other maybe. time we can get together and give some stories Even from more. the tower. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. I know there's so many out there. So. Yeah. I can Fun. tell you life on Pigtail Alley, how we chewed tobacco. Oh, I yeah. started smoking cigarettes before I went to first grade. That's pretty early. Oh, that's darn early. <laughs> that yeah. explains a lot. Yeah, yeah we used to smoke, uh, well, chewing tobacco, empty wrappers. If you pulled it apart, there mm. was always some little tobacco left. We'd smoke that. <laughs> oh, we're mean little kids. Jeez. Never, and, never and there's only a couple of us left. Mm. Eugene Spansky out on, oh. you know Eugene? I know Spansky. I don't know if I've ever met him before, no. Okay, Eugene is a year older than I am. Mm. He's still alive, and his real name is Chepinski. S-C-C-Z-E-P-A-N-S-K-I, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. short. <laughs> uh, he can tell you a lot of stories. Mm. Chepinski's was a huge Polish family. I don't know, 11 kids or something. Oh, wow, yeah. The oldest was having babies while mom was still, still having them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. And, and the town used to be a pretty rowdy town, like in uh, I've heard the story. He saw uh, Halloween. I mean, uh, they would take a, a wagon, and I've heard they would disassemble the wagon and take it up on top of one of the old buildings and put <laughs> wheels back on it. And the guy would come out, and the wagon would be up there. <laughs> we did that every year at uh, <laughs> there at, you go. At, uh, the school. Over uh, the school. Yeah, right, <laughs> right next door. The property mm. next to it. I can't think of the guy's name. It's a farm. Oh, there was oh, a farm uh, there. Um, Arndt. Uh, I think yeah. it was Arndt. No. No, no. That was his Anyhow, yeah, we take think part. And, of course, you had to have almost the entire town participate. Yeah, a, a lot of people. And, yeah, and there's another whole thing what we did on, on <laughs> Halloween. I'm li I'm laughing because <laughs> I tell a story that he just loved. Uh, anyhow, I don't know if we even want to go there and leave that for another time. <laughs> Maybe another time. <laughs> yeah, because well, trick or treat time uh, when we got older was all of the high school kids got together. And keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Also, back in World War Two. We divided this town into two armies. Mm. Gene Graber, who was in high school, was the general for the South Side, <laughs> lived over towards the mill. And the mill, by the way, had German prisoners operating it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, I've never heard that. Oh, heck. Yeah. Oh. I, I talked with him. Oh. And caught hell for going over there from uh, <laughs> 
But uh, and then catch it home a lot of time. I did <laughs> all the time. Uh, the cousin Morris Bidner, who was mm -hmm. mayor mm -hmm. of the town, was the general on the north side. Well, we used to make sergeant chevrons and use straight pins. Mm -hmm. Spend the morning drawing things, promoting you, and <laughs> you didn't fall down because you'd bleed to death. You had so many pins in. <laughs> but this is a whole story. We'd fight battles in the stone quarries. Oh, yeah. Uh, Larson's Foundry, when uh, we could get in there. Uh, and uh, we were all over town. One of the things during World War II that you guys used to do is collect foil and, and metal. Oh, sure. and foil. I, I know yeah. kids used to do that a lot. For Yeah, yeah right. Uh, uh, well, right where Mechanic Street comes into Elm, mm. that... We would. That's where we would collect scrap, scrap mm -hmm. metal of any kind. Uh, we collected that, or we guys we would go out in the fields and get milk pot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Milk pot was used for the May West life preservers, and that I can remember pulling wagons full of stuff, mm -hmm. looking at this big pile of trash and junk. And I, I can remember saying, man, we could build a battleship. Because, wow, look at all. Look at all I stuff. ended up on the battleship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what was my duty station for two years. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of stories here that you could go really deep in. That, that's Halloween. why we do this, I think. It's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. great stories to tell. Yeah, Halloween involved paper bags, uh, dog dew, and flames. Yeah. Well, look, you want to hear one? Sure. I'll tell you two because he likes to hear a special one. Anyhow, uh, the postmaster in town, Yank Barton, I'm not sure what Yank's first name was. Everybody had a nickname in Grafton of that generation. My dad was Babe because he's the youngest one of all, all the troublemakers. <laughs> I had an uncle who was called Bottles, Googie, Horse. Uh, if I give some thought, I can read a couple. Well, Yank, mm. I don't know. Uh, he, he was a means. <laughs> and every Halloween, or at least the one that I'm thinking of, Paper bag, collected uh, some fresh dog manure, put it on the porch, lit it, rang the doorbell. <laughs> and uh, Yank lived over on uh, Chestnut Street. Came out, there was a the fire. What do you do? You stomp on it. <laughs> and then he would drive around town. His car had a spotlight on it. <laughs> looking for his kids. Go looking. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I almost got killed doing it. Uh, <laughs> There was a gal lived on, uh, well, Durkee Road, uh, Marge Meyer, who was in my class, real good friend. Uh, relationships, we didn't date, but she was like a sister. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, well, we run it through backyards and somebody had a fence up. And I stopped, jumped the fence, stopped to help Marge over. She tripped, fell on top of me. And by killing me, and Barton with his light is shining all around us. It's crazy. <laughs> but Marge also 
was part of one, uh, the McGill's uh, gas station, Canfield gas station, mm -hmm. which is just a car lot, how I think. Yeah, yeah. That's right. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Old used tires were stacked out, thrown out and back to be picked up and that. So we took one of those and Marge and I drug it over the railroad tracks, got up to Jugheads, pulled open the door. Somebody pulled open the door and Marge and I took this. It was a pickup truck type tire. <laughs> it was bigger than the car tire, but smaller than the bacon. And we went down and our stools were not anchored. They were the kind that just sat. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got a perfect strike. You saw drugs fly, bottle beer gone. We ran like hell. We ended up laying in the middle of a big field right behind the back conception church, laughing. We had all these people looking for us as long as we laid flat. It was dark out. Well, I gotta see. <laughs> well, I got a high that, that, that was classic. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, had their times. Now it's a little bit more subtle. A little bit more sedate, I suppose. Yes. But yes, now yeah. no. all these people are gone. Marge married Larry Bachinsky, who lived right around you know, lived right around the corner of that. Mm -hmm. And they're both gone. So that's so yeah, maybe we should I guess we it's time to wrap up. Yeah. I suppose. So well thank you both so much for sharing and everything with us today it's i think people will really enjoy hearing about it because i mean i definitely learned a couple things germans at the mill i never heard that before they would bust so, them in yeah, <clears throat> yeah. makes sense but it's yeah. but th that's why i think why we do this sure so i get i get to learn things everybody gets to learn things and, and it preserves and it saves it a yeah. bit of history because yeah. there'll be a time when neither of us will be here yeah. And somebody will go, gee, I wonder what mm -hmm. that was all about. Well, that's that was, that's yeah. hopefully one of the missions we're trying to accomplish. And that is what I want to do for our church, too. Mm -hmm. They're they're talking about building a new office complex and that. And mm -hmm. I'd certainly like to see history preserved yeah. of these two older churches yeah. and it in the same manner. So you don't have to have mm -hmm. huge rooms with all kinds of statuary. Although I do have some statuary preserved. That would be good too, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, things like this that somebody can go to a computer and open it up and listen and to learn. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll yeah. we are, we're here to help with that, that's for sure. That's good. I mean, very important to us here at the library. So really I don't is. lose the thoughts of talking about the German prisoners that were, <laughs> I don't know, articles of war, whether or not they were paid, probably were. I don't think you'd. Probably a little bit. Yeah. By the rules of war, you can use them. Yeah. yeah. But the Gandhi dancers, uh, the mm -hmm. people that worked on the railroad, mm -hmm. those were Mexicans. Mexico was not in World War II. No. And we brought them up. Mm -hmm. I remember one gave me a peso coin because hmm. he missed his kids. Sure, sure. That used to be an interesting. They'd pull the trains on the siding mm -hmm. on the Cleveland Street there. And they lived in the cars. They were old uh, passenger cars and they converted just into uh, beds and, you know, a barracks type of thing. And they had cooks and, and that. Well, the guys would get off, of course, and try to find the local bars, which wasn't hard to do. It was right across the street. And, right here, and no. chase the local girls and that. So finally, town council said, you can't park these trains in town anymore because <laughs> you're just too big of a nuisance. So, Causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't shut up again. <laughs> no. Well, thank thank you again, guys, and 
we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Oh, so, hope so. Thank okay. you again. All right. <laughs> thank you again to Carl and Joe Filipiak for sharing what life was like for them growing up in Grafton in the 40s and 50s. It's always important to preserve this sort of social history, so we have some real perspective about our community's past. I hope you enjoyed listening, and if you'd like to contribute, or if you have any questions, please contact the Grafton Midview Public Library or email the podcast at postcardsfromgrafton at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>